fire. Adam just goosed himself straight out of his uh, F-16, and he is now going down with the plane. We have our uh, water signal flare, and I'm just swimming over to him and probably the Gulf of, uh, I don't know, Gulf of something. I don't know where you guys would have been at, but... Meg Ryan will never again see me alive because mm-hmm. yes, that was his wife in that movie. Yeah, We've never seen Top Gun. Yeah, so so Adam, I'm I got you. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And Adam goes on to have a successful career as a doctor on the show ER. Indeed, I always thought it was pronounced ER, but again, you know, we mispronounce <laughs> things sometimes. I always used to say uh, Acidi, so mm-hmm. tomato, tomato. Hey, Faye. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm great. I'm good. Yeah, me too. Okay. This is Twats of Twats, uh, the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show. The Wheel of Time is a book series written by Robert Jordan once upon a time in the 1990s and uh, went all the way through 2013. And then Amazon made a TV show about it a couple weeks ago and we're watching it. And this is a podcast talking about those episodes. We just watched season one, episode six, and it was an episode. <laughs> Indeed yes, it was. It was. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this was your cold open. And if you look out the left, you'll see your cold open ending. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, Twats of Twats, Season 1, Episode 6. Today, I'm here with my co-host, Adam Diaz, and my co-host, Faye Kai, and everybody's just happy. This is great. Hello. Uh, hello. Yeah. Adam, what's what's your deal? What's going on, man? So, nothing too big, listeners. We just wanted to let you know my energy level might be a bit low because I got food poisoning last night. It's been an explosive last 24 hours, so <laughs> oh I'm uh, coming at you with everything I have left in my body. And I'm going to try and uh, bring good content, even though it might be a little bit low energy. In fact, you know what? Not feeling great. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the end of the show. So, okay, just stick with me. Camera two. Let's just get to what the fuck, Ray. Oh, man, already. So I don't really got a whole lot to say. Um, I've watched it twice. You know, it is what it is. It's an episode. Some stuff happened. You know, Sue and Sanchi was there. That was cool. And I say her name right. So that was always nice to see. And that's it. What the fuck, Rafe? Bye. <laughs> well, we're really just rushing it, aren't we? Yeah. This- no, wait. No. Was that the horn honk? It yeah. was a joke. Jesus Christ. Bring it back. Hang on. Camera uh, two. Come back. Uh, Cam- okay, good. There we go. Camera two. All right, Rafe. I am going to keep this short because I really am not feeling good. But... You say you want eight seasons, and I just want to say, once we get through season one, I'm making a rule that you have to follow since we're best friends and you listen to every episode, and I know you listen to What the Fuck Rave three or four times a week. No more red herrings, okay? We have so many red herrings this season, and at the beginning, that was one of the things I complimented you on. I was like, I really like that we're building up this tension of who is the dragon. At this point, we get it. We're just as annoyed about how long this is being dragged out as these characters seem to be. Like we went from five to four and now we're back to five again. Now in this episode, apparently the rules might not even matter when it comes to who could be the Dragon Reborn. All the prophecies are bullshit. We all know Harry Potter wasn't the chosen one. It's just confusing. It's exhausting. Season two, no more red herrings, all right? We get it. Pump the fucking brakes. What the fuck, Rafe?
Oh, wow. Man, Adam is spicy, much like the Korean barbecue that killed him last night. <laughs> I will say when I started that, I was like, my voice is fine. And by the end of it, I was like, I need to not talk anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had the Twatch along and you seemed fine throughout the whole thing. It was a lot less lively than it has been on previous Twatch alongs. Faye, do you have anything you want to discuss right off the bat or no? <laughs> no, not right off the bat, but it will definitely be a very spicy uh, who's hot on twat today. I was going to say, you. I have the fucking sound effects queued up if you want, but <laughs> no more spicy anything. Okay. Make it a little bland for me. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Before we end all the spicy, can I make a request that yeah. we should all have this entire conversation in the same room with Suan Sanchi and Moraine, please? Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. So we'll we'll do Suan Sanchi's like childhood home, but it's also in this dreamy Tarong real world. So whatever, I'll spice it up a little bit. I like this spice. Okay. Flying that in now. Oh shit. You gave me one of those red robes. Sweet. (laughs) It looks like you're wearing a scarf. See, I didn't do that. You did that. Oh, it only comes down to my belly button. So this is going to be weird for the rest (laughs) of the episode, y'all. Yeah. All right, awesome. Sue Ann Sanchi's childhood home. Uh, Here we are, and this is how the episode opens. Um, We see her sleeping in a uh, net. Uh, No, it's a hammock, and uh, her father, or father figure at least, rouses her up to get the day's catch out on the the bayou or the river or whatever they're doing with this uh, location here, which is Tyr, actually. I will say, as soon as I realized who we were looking at, I was very excited because... You know, as someone who knows the character, knows that it's Tyr, which is referenced almost immediately in dialogue, I was looking for signs of the city in the background, and I kind of thought maybe this is why they put up the mountains, because they haven't designed Tyr quite yet. Because uh, <laughs> it is stone, supposed to be like, yeah, the Stone of Tyr is this really impressive fortress, and I was like, I cannot fucking wait to see what this looks like in the show. Yeah, I was very excited when this opened. I was like, I get to have some Sue and Sanchi backstory? Yes, please, <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, the fact that Suen Sanchi is written as like just this fucking idiom machine that just drops mm-hmm. all of these like, wow, I'm you, you're like a bird with a fish in its gullet and uh, you're madder than a bird with a fish in its gullet. She just says this shit all the time and um, she didn't, which was great. There was a little bit of it, which I liked, which was a hint or a nod or uh, just a tip of the cap to Robert Jordan. But he... My segment, what the fuck, Robert Jordan? He needed to pump the brakes on that one. Um, but uh, every sentence from her mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, you're like an angry fisherman that has something caught in its net that doesn't have a knife." It's like they're getting long, suing. Wrap that shit up. <laughs> they're like, "Holy shit, you fucking o gear, stop taking so long." But anyway, um, yeah, they didn't really have that much. They really pared that down with her, which I enjoyed. And they actually also gave it to the father character, which Suan uses the power as a kid with her father, who tells her don't do this you need to do this in secret she's discovered you see one half of a yin yang symbol on the burned remains of their home which is referred to as the dragon's fang we've seen this imagery a handful of times in episode one i believe of the show but that is the symbol of like a heresy it's like a it's like oh you're a magic user you're a witch so that's scrawled on or painted or whatever it's just marked on your place of living and then they burn it to the ground which is not cool, but in doing so, uh, her father gives her a, a very heartfelt goodbye and sends her off to Tarvalon because she can no longer stay here. This is kind of an interesting start, I think, to Suan Sanche, because I think in the books you kind of get this sense like, oh, she's this all-powerful Amarlin seat. And it really isn't until later that you get the sense that, oh, yeah, she's actually 
this girl, she used to be a blue and she grew up in this poor fishing village. So, I mean, I liked it. I, I guess like it kind of makes sense to introduce this. I wasn't super impressed by everything that I saw in this scene here, so. I think uh, Garrett said it really well during the Twatch Along, um, where he mentioned every character is kind of given this backstory of, you know, like underdog down on their luck. And it's not that that's not the case in the books. It's just sort of all presented in the same way where right. each one of them, like, you got to root for them. They come from humble beginnings. You can't just, you know, start it off with her being this imposing figure, kind of like Faye said. But um, it is the backstory to her. So I think I was more excited about the fact that they weren't just going to kind of gloss over it. So I was kind of happy to see it. I also thought the the actor that played her father was really good. Uh, you know, he he handled the scene of sending his daughter away probably forever well enough where I'm just like, this is pretty sad. Like, this is actually a really sad open to the show. This transitions into present day. Sue Ann Sanchi, the Emerlin seat, the uh, Flame of Tarvalon, having pretty much a, uh, what would you guys call this? A, what a you- disciplinary hearing. It's, yeah. it's like yeah. a sentencing for Loghain and then a disciplinary hearing mm-hmm. for the three lawyers who, like... <laughs> Right. When, yeah, they, they broke the rules. Yeah. They passed yeah. judgment before, like, there was a judge and jury, basically. Okay, so Sue Ann Sanchi is the commish, while Leandrin, Alana, and Moraine are the the three police officers from Sabotage, uh, the VC Boys uh, music <laughs> video. But anyway, yeah, she gives them a right proper dressing down as to why the hell did they... Oh, before, you know, before we get into this, I want to talk about Loghain's little speech here, which is, he's like, you guys think that you're the fucking end-all be-all. The further away you get from Tarvalon, you're not. You are not liked. You are, in fact, hated. And right now, you are weak because, I don't, I don't know what the date he said, but he's like, 100 years ago, nobody would speak against you. It was, I raised an army against you in a year because they don't like you anymore and they know that you suck. I thought that was pretty chilling uh, and awesome. It's a sign of the times. It's interesting because I think, you know, in the books, there's constant reminders that back in the day, however long ago, the Aes Sedai were much more powerful. They were able to create these sangreal, these like triangreal, all these things. And we can't do that anymore. And now it takes, you know, 10 sisters linked together to do X, Y, Z. That would have taken one channeler the something to do, like, to do this. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that I get the sense that someone is alluding to this, that Ace and I aren't as strong as they are. And that's even being caught on by everybody else. Yeah, I honestly think, too, the shot that they give you of this, like, hall where all this is happening, you have three sisters from each Aja, you have the three that are being dressed down, and you have Loghain in front of uh, the Amarillan, and then the keeper of the stole, um, which I think is Leanne, right? Leanne, yeah. yeah. They focus on it from a top-down shot, and then they kind of like pan up, and you just see rows upon rows upon rows. But all those rows are empty, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it just really starts to show you like the empty space in this like grand palace, essentially, where it doesn't seem like it's filled with as many people as it was created for. And then you get the speech from Loghain, which I was really into. I was like, damn, man, like he's just calling them out, and then you know he gets sentenced to not death yeah and it just breaks him and watching that i was just like some you know i just got done watching episode five to get ready for episode six and seeing what happened with Stepan and him taking his own life and you know losing his will to live essentially and then starting out this episode with uh you know the amarillan sentencing this man to live Mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, have to live through it. And it's just hearing him scream while he's dragged out, like, please kill me. And he's literally begging to kill her. 
yeah. uh, shows like what a, a husk of a man he's become since they severed him from the source. It's incredibly sad that he's getting dragged off, uh, begging for uh, his life to be ended by them. But the hearing then very quickly turns into a, what the hell, guys? What'd you do here? Leandrin gets dressed down pretty hard. Then Leandrin shifts the focus over to the Moraine and what Moraine's been doing here. And then the entire hall right here is has all their focus on Moraine and what her next steps are supposed to be. At this point, though, I would like to say that Moraine has got a swagger to her. I've said before that she is very um, stately. You know, she seems to carry herself like she's royalty. She's very regal at all times. This felt more so than normal. She was kind of like dangerous, you know. She just had like a, a way about her that wasn't like no nonsense. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about uh, really just Moraine or Rosamund Pike on the day here. I definitely think personally that uh, Moraine really, you know, she's heavily featured in this scene and in this episode. She has this idea of even though her side kind of steps up, says like, we can't tell you it's blue business. And then they're like, oh, you don't think the blues report the Amarillan just because she used to be a blue? And Moraine is just like, well, I'm not telling you too fucking bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And they like ask her multiple times. She's like, no, not going to do it. And she's just, she's not. It's like that old veteran cop that doesn't give a shit what the commissioner says. Like, I get the job done. And I got that sense like immediately in this episode. And I definitely liked it. Sure. I, I mean, I, I liked Moraine in this episode. I think it was a great way to, again, do that redirection thing that Rafe seems to love to do, right? We get the sense that like, oh, actually she and the Admiral and seat hate each other. And we, of course, learn later on that that is not the case whatsoever. But I actually really loved Leandrin in this scene because I think you guys mentioned this last episode where you were like, everyone's watching Leandrin because you're like, she's going to do something bad and it's going to cause shit to happen. And that's exactly what she does here. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm taking the blame. I'm taking the blame. Oh, yeah. But by the way, uh, what about Moraine? And you're like, oh, crap. I just thought that she like drives so many plot points in this episode that it's really interesting to watch her at every single point, even though she is the villain in this episode. Yeah, and uh, much like the villain in the hit 1987 film Predator, she dressed like a predator. (laughs) Especially the hair, right? Was he really the villain, though? No, Mankind was the villain. (laughs) I don't know. I really thought it was a weird choice by Rafe to make her speak in a series of clicks, but now that you say that, Garrett, it totally makes sense. (laughs) I thought it was weird that she was using the threes... All right. Anyway, so then we actually... There's a joke in there about Sue and Sanchi being a fisher and growing up in the swamp and knowing to cover herself with mud to hide from the thermal signature, but I'm just going to leave it be. You know what? Too much for a reach. Sometimes it's good just to put all the ingredients on the table. You bake your own cake, listener. (laughs) If it works out later, we'll we'll take credit for it together. (laughs) Yeah, so listener, you better stick around for it. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. This episode is so Moraine-centric that everything that happens here you get to see how many pies she has her hands in because it just trapezes to scene to scene to scene to character to character to character to really subplot to subplot to subplot that involves her. So after this, we now see Moraine uh, go over to finally see Rand and Matt. She meets up with them for the first time since departing from Shadar Logoth uh, or Shader Logoth. This was the coolest scene in the episode by far. But uh, Matt lashes out with a dagger, and she just like a like an adult taking away a toy from a kid. With the with the power, she weaves some air, suspends the dagger in midair, and sees what's happening. Essentially, draws the darkness from inside out at risk to herself. Oh man, I loved how this thing like 
tried to latch on to like a new host trying to get into her mouth. And then she put it back into the dagger and they sealed it back up. Yeah, I mean, this looks amazing, like you said. Like the fact that it was like trying to get into her mouth, trying to like find this new host, it looked really great. I I liked that um, this episode, like you said, is really about Moraine being the adult in the room, right? I think before this, we get a sense that, oh, maybe, you know, Nynaeve has her own kind of storyline or maybe Egwene does. And then you kind of get realize that like Moraine is their leader and Moraine is the person who's going to call the shots. Um, Cause Nynaeve comes on and you know, she, Moraine immediately tells her like, you need to start acting like a wisdom if that's what you want to call yourself because you didn't tell me about Matt <laughs> and he would have died if you hadn't called me. Yeah. And you know, and, and you see the like realization on Nynaeve's face. Like she hates the fact that, you know, she has to admit that Moraine's right, but she has to admit that. I had a, a pretty big problem with Nynaeve the entire episode because she, She's used to being in control in the two rivers and pretty much Moraine's like, you're in my house now, so you sit down. Or at least, you know, you behave yourself while you're here. Especially when uh, Nynaeve and Sue and Sanchi were speaking in a later scene, she looked young. She looked like a kid, especially next to Sue and Sanchi. And I really appreciated that contrast because Nynaeve normally is the one in control. Whatever she says goes, uh, especially in her, her little podunk town full of, you know, idiots that don't know their <laughs> ass from their elbow. But over here, yeah, she was shut She's down. Out of her league. Out of her league and was shut down very quickly several times. She just she yeah. just really uh, seemed to be acting like a spoiled child. Backtrack just a tiny bit to that scene where they have the dagger and Matt. I think everything about this scene is exactly what I hoped when I heard there would be a Wheel of Time show. Yeah. You know, it just looked so fucking good. The way she draws it from him and I had this feeling watching when she was drawing like the darkness from him of it's a joke from Rick and Morty where they're going through a bunch of his bad memories and he's like trying to like have this uh, evil slug like get drawn from him and they have to like say nice things to Morty and the slug slowly starts coming out of his mouth and then like halfway out because it's taking so long they're like this is really gross can you speed this up and then they start making fun of how long it's taking it starts going back in and they're nice to him again starts coming out I thought of that because it wasn't like she just pulled it out or it wasn't like she just absorbed it. It didn't even look like when they pulled the source from Loghain. Mm -hmm. This was something that was like a part of him, like that they had to like pull out of his throat. Like it was latched onto him like a parasite. Mm -hmm. And Garrett made the comment like it looks like the Venom symbiote. And it really, really did. And uh, the way she like stood there while it crawled across her face, totally calm. Uh, I just I loved everything about this scene. I thought it was great. And like you guys mentioned, the tension between her and Nina Eve is handled very well because Nina Eve does have this streak of being a brat. She thinks it makes her in charge to act like a brat like that. And we see that throughout this episode. And there's just these repeated occurrences of people telling her like, you don't know shit. Like stop behaving like this. So yeah. One last bit of dialogue that came out about the darkness being pulled from Matt, which was fantastic is that Moraine said that it was feeding off of Matt's I think darkness, much like how Matt was feeding off of its or something like that. Like essentially it was a parasitic relationship at first, but then it actually became symbiotic. Symbiotic. There we go. Thank you fucking people who are smarter than me. It was a symbiotic relationship. You afterwards. literally said the word symbiote during the watch long. I know, during I know, the I did. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, regardless, I thought it was a very cool line to throw in there because of the fact that it was like, sure, this could just have been a bad thing, but also you need it now. It's your addiction that you can't shake just because somebody took it away from you. You have a, you have a necessity to have it with you at this point. 
Furthermore, with Moraine having her hand in everything, she then, you know, gets to party three over here, and she's being told by Yellow Sister, who Faye clocked as the actor or the comedian. Evelyn Mock? I think that's how you say her name. Yes, I think she's a Swedish comedian. That's kind of cool. That is awesome. I bet you they're a huge fan of the books, and they're just like, I have to be on this show. Yeah. The Yellow Sister takes Moraine over to Perrin and Egwene in Tarvalon, and they are here, and... uh, there really isn't so much to say about this other than we get some more exposition with uh, Egwene telling Moraine about how Perrin's eyes lit up yellow. And that clearly was a buzzword for her. She does a very quick about face. It's like, okay, we need to talk about this a little bit further. What else happened? And Egwene related the relationship that Perrin seems to be starting to have with the wolves. And the other thing that she did was uh, hand over the trophies that Valda had collected from the yeah. sisters that he had killed, mm-hmm. which I thought was like, it's just a reminder, like, Egwene is not only a defiant badass, but she is very aware of things that are just crossing a line. Mm-hmm. And that's that ring thing is definitely meant to be unsettling. And she gets to hand this back as like, he won't hurt your sisters anymore. And it's like she's a kid from the Two Rivers saying this to fucking Moraine Sedai. And I just, <laughs> I love the moment of her being the badass in the room just for that split second. It bums me out that she was like, he won't hurt your sisters anymore. I definitely gave him a non-fatal wound. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, the presumption is that, like, the wolves killed all of them, Uh, which, I mean, like, from what they saw, I would have been like, yeah, I guess they're all dead now. The one thing that bothered me was that we still continue to get this, like, is is Perrin the dragon? Is Nynaeve the dragon? That's my red herring thing. They won't cross anyone off this list. I know, and it's just so annoying because she kind of asks and is like, what's going on? Why is Perrin, like getting these golden eyes and, you know, why is he maybe linked to these wolves? And Moraine's like, well, maybe it's a dragon thing. It's starting to bother me. I'm starting to be like, okay, can we just, like, get to the point? Moraine's like, I don't know. Daisy Conger had a lot of speaking lines in episode one. It could be her. Right. Moraine did introduce a line of dialogue that says maybe the dragon is all five of them. Yeah, I know. That that is a that is a new um, introduction to all of us, which, yeah, I don't... That's not how it was written, and I don't care about that. I'm fine with things being portrayed differently than they were written but i do think that that would be kind of very captain planet-y and probably not like the best way i was hoping when she said that the other character in the scene would have been like better fucking not be like because that's how i felt well that's like we have to watch five of these assholes instead of just one of them and then they all get rings and one of them is fire yeah Exactly. I didn't Parts. get as I didn't get as bothered by it because the next scene or the next like line of dialogue in that scene is a suggestion like then take all five of them to the eye of the world and see which one survives. I was like, cool, let's fucking do this. I'm sick of this shit. Stop standing around and talking. So I actually really enjoyed that line. Where I'm like, I like this person. They know what they're talking about. Sure, that was sure, so sure. interesting with that line because I was just like, oh, so we're just gonna kill kids now. Mm. Okay, it just didn't seem like that was a thing that would be like the wisest thing possible. And I feel like coming from, you know, the Amarillan seat, who's supposed to be essentially like this wise woman, I was like, really, that's the solution? I mean, they aged him up, it's fine. I don't think that Sue Ann Cianchi was suggesting that as an actual option, but Moraine said it herself too, is like, well, what if these, uh, what if one of these kids, that's the dragon goes to the dark one? She goes, (laughs) I'm gonna kill him myself. So they are both taking hard lines of saying like, yeah, doesn't matter how many bodies that we pave the way to the the goal with but we're gonna do it 
this moves over into Moraine's adventures through Hogwarts, and she goes into her own room. Uh, she shields her bond or hides her bond away from the mm. water bond from Lan, which Adam was uh, super happy with. He liked that a lot. Uh, he has no other comments. Um, <laughs> yep, that's accurate. Um, no, it's just like, okay, you have to introduce this for what's about to come, which we all are understanding what's probably going to happen, but... If, if you talk about the bond and you make so much of an effort to explain it and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, let's just toss this one thing in there for no reason whatsoever. But uh, I don't know. I just thought it was like, this is a waste of time. Also, you're setting a dangerous precedent that you might have to run into later in the show. Yeah. The scene that we have here is Moraine getting prepped for bed, uh, or at least she's not going out on the town any further. And she uses her little doored art piece that we saw teased in the previous episode. She opens that up and it turns into effectively a portal into the place that you're currently listening, which is like some sort of like ethereal place that uh, Sue and Sanchi and her have as a meeting spot, probably power related and uh, probably non-existent. But we find out that Sue and Sanchi and Moraine Demidred are, I think they're called pillow friends in the in this uh, <laughs> universe. They're co-conspirators, but they're also lovers. Garrett, before you keep putting your foot into it. I'm going to interrupt you <laughs> for who's that on twat? This is the most aptly named and appropriate version of this segment. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, on today, who's hot on twat, uh, I'm going to be choosing Suen Sanchi. The reason I'm choosing her is because I think prior to this, I had not been impressed with the Amarillan seat. She seemed to be this, you know, we get this backstory. She's this girl. We see her as this like cold figure. And all of a sudden we understand that she and Moraine were both blues together. They must have met when they were both, you know, accepted. They both went and became blue, Aja. They've known each other for a really long time. And this animosity between them is all a front so that none of the tower suspects their alliance with each other. It just embodies everything that's happening in this tower right now. Everyone's making alliances with everybody else. People hate each other. They all have their own purposes. And it just makes so much sense that there's this like co-conspiracy going on between the two of them. And of course they reveal that they're actually lovers, which is hot in its own right. And that's why, you know, we're setting this episode here and also why she is the person who is hot on twat. But also it sets up a lot of things that are important for the rest of the show. She shows that she has the capability of not only leading, but making these alliances that allow her actual will to be done. She's not powerful in the way, in the sense that her ability to channel is powerful. She is powerful in the alliances that she makes and the way that she is going about setting her plots and saying our actual thing that we're doing is we are trying to figure out who the Dragon Reborn is so that we can defeat the evil. Anyway, that is Who's Hot on Twat today. And see, I said nothing about, uh, you know, the two of them just like making out constantly in this scene. <laughs> you nail it, Faye. Because uh, I think in this scene, it really made me realize, uh, probably more so than I did reading her character in the book, like, man, she really does sacrifice everything she actually cares for, for duty. Mm-hmm. And I think if anyone would appreciate that, it would be like Lan, because Lan talks about duty a lot in the book. But um, just seeing it on the screen and realizing, man, she hasn't seen her in years. Imagine not seeing the person you love the most in the world in years because you guys are doing something that's like a higher calling.
Going back into the Moraine and Suan Sanchi scene here that we have, I think we had hints that Suan and Moraine were potentially amorous with each other. But having this like kind of just come out and say it was it was awesome. It was fantastic to see. And you know, it was it was beautiful to see these two women who are very I, I said in the Twatch long, I'm like, dialogue was pretty racy for uh, even for like Amazon Prime about implying like cunnilingus and stuff, which go for it. Like sex positivity is wonderful. Whatever is consensual is fucking A OK in all of our books here. And it was done tastefully too. I don't think that anything was over the line. The sex aside <laughs> the exposition here I thought was fantastic. The readers know about this, but the the uninitiative finally gets to see where Moraine's like mission has come from here. They do tease the fact that there was a prophecy being said that the dragon has been reborn and Suen and Moraine, I think they were the only two that were there to witness it, but they essentially make a pact to find the dragon as blues they can kind of direct the dragon's actions and make it make sure that it goes for the light and that that the dragon then does what the blue eyes Sedai want to have happen that's where the dialogue of like well you know these prophecies are they're so old they've been translated some say that there's five headed dragons in here so it's interesting but that's where the advent of Moraine's 20 year mission to find the dragon comes from the one thing about this scene I think that um, was kind of odd to me is that a after they get done talking about their frustrations, and I thought this was a really good scene showing the true motivation behind Moraine's mission and where it came from, um, Suan mentions her dreams and that she's seeing the Dark One at the Eye of the World. And when I heard that, I was just kind of like, hmm, it's kind of weird that you would have Suan be the one to bring this up because there's a lot of different ways to do it. In particular, Suan's not a dreamer. She doesn't have like prophecies that she spews in the books or anything like that. So... You got to kind of wonder why they decided to make her this person um, because it's just as easy when you run into an Aiel, which they have, um, to have the message that was delivered in the books, which is Sight Blinder looks to blind the eye of the world, uh, which gets carried by whoever like runs into the Aiel, which in this case it was Rand and Matt, um, to the tower for them to deliver that message. And they just decided to toss that dialogue to Suin. I really kind of thought like, Maybe they just got to the point where they really need to figure out how the hell are we going to get these guys to the eye of the world? And they just sort of toss it into a scene and they're like, have Suin do it, whatever. Back to little Mousy Moraine walking around her maze like Algernon itself. The <laughs> <laughs> Moraine and Lan are making plans to leave the tower here and come across a snake in the hallways, which is Leandrin, who's kind of playing her hand that she knows that Moraine is up to something. And I think, Faye, you actually had some... Uh, <laughs> You're pretty happy with the the dialogue that Moraine shoots a warning shot across her bow with. I think at this point, Leandrin's trying to start shit, which is what I like about her. She likes to like throw her little, you know, hand in the mix to try and get things to happen. And she says, "Hey, who are these people that you keep bringing?" Like, uh, I heard about Matt. I heard about Rand. I heard about you know Egwene. Are they all friends of Nynaeve? Why are they all from the Two Rivers? And Moraine is just like, you know what? I know everything about you as well. I know about this man that you meet up with. And hey, by the way, I will tell your sisters and they will go and they will murder this man. Love this little interaction because we kind of see that like, this is a moment where you're like, okay, Leandrin's playing checkers and Moraine and like Sue and Sanchi are playing chess. You know what I mean? And like, this is the first time that we see like Moraine shows her hand. That's like, yes, I am actually way more, you know, into everything than you think. 
I am. Moraine's line about knowing about uh, Leandrin's man that she meets. She doesn't say lover. She doesn't say anything that's like super telling of it, but it hits a chord with Leandrin because she specifically says, you know what she goes, you know what your sisters will do if they find out about him. I think that means it's a channeler, but I'm wondering if that means that she has a son that she's secreting away who is a, a channeler. Regardless if that's like part of Leandrin's actual backstory that we know about or whatever, it was a great time to play that bit of information and uh, keep him going because it's like, hey, I'm in the middle of something. Fuck off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think this is another example of someone who's like being a brat. You know, mm-hmm. and like, hey, adults are talking. Stop. I think the the verbiage of, you know, she's playing checkers and they're playing chess is perfect. It's super apropos for this moment because Moraine is so many steps ahead of her and she doesn't even realize it. And you realize in this moment, Moraine has just been wondering with each time Leandrin crosses her. It's like, when do I play this single card that will shut her the fuck up? Mm-hmm. And she finally is just like, I don't have time for this. And it's like three sentences. And she tells her, like, walk away and never talk about this again. And she doesn't say a single word to her. And then Moraine turns around and it's like, it's right, bitch, I got stuff to do. And like walks away and Pops I just- collar. Yeah, that's the swagger that we like from Moraine. I, I wrote down on my notes like, yes, stop taking her shit, Moraine. You're fucking Batman. And that's how I feel about her character. She's like always one step ahead and like you finally feel it. And then unfortunately she walks away and I'm pretty sure she's walking away to go to her disciplinary sentencing at this point. So. Sure. So speaking of acting like children, we then have Nynaeve and Aguin meet with Suen Sanchi in her like private quarters, essentially, or like in her chambers, where she's in more of a casual garb and accepting visitors and talks to them. Much like Moraine has, and what I mentioned earlier, Suan gives Nynaeve a nice dressing down of like, listen, you're on the porch with the big dogs. You need to act like it. Because she's not. She's, she's um, acting kind of uh, brusque and also just rude you know she's rude she's very mm -hmm. rude to this person Mm -hmm. and sure if you feel like you've been spirited away here kind of against your will and you want to find out what's going on that's fine but naive you don't need to act that way and suen is just like she's like hey listen (sighs) sorry to tell you you're destined for greatness and people normally do like to hear that but also that means that this responsibility it doesn't fucking matter what you want you're gonna have to give up anything that you actually want in the line of duty, which harkens back to what Adam and Faye, you were talking about earlier. Suen Sanchi is just an individual that will raise the world in the line of duty or for duty to make sure that good prevails. Yeah, I think she has this look of frustration because she's just laughing at naive spirit. And then at some point she says, you know, something that just irks her and she just tells her, you know, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills and it doesn't give a fuck about what you want, which I wish were the exact lines that she stated to her. Uh, because, <laughs> I mean, again, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're looking at a person who, you know, loved their father unconditionally. They got sent away because it was what needed to be done. She talks about how long it's been since she's seen Moraine, this person that she loves more than anything. Um, and she knows what's about to come. And it's, again, her doing her duty and her doing her duty constantly involves her ripping her own fucking heart out, Mm -hmm. which just makes it super sad. This episode just made me so sad because I feel like it's stepping over a lot of boundaries because, first of all, I think it's doing something that a lot of TV shows don't, which is we see a lesbian sex scene. We have characters that are, you know, actors of color speaking to each other. There's no reason they have to be people of color, but they are. They're talking about something other than race issues. Basically, they're talking about things that push the plot forward that have nothing to do 
with race or culture or whatever it may be. And I feel like this like TV show is doing a lot of pushing cinema forward and pushing Hollywood forward in these like really great ways. But I just didn't like this episode. And it makes me so <laughs> sad that I didn't like this episode where all these times where I'm like seeing these scenes and I'm like, yes, yes, I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're doing this, Rafe. I'm glad you're doing this. Just because you have minority characters and female characters doesn't mean they need to reference right. like, oh, we're a bunch of minority females mm-hmm. just standing around like, no, have them talk about the plot. And there's so many shows that don't fucking get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And this show is just like. This is just what people look like. I love that the series that was written and the show itself represents it so well. It's like it's a it's a world of people that were scattered to the winds. So there's no alignments anymore. It would be like if like with the earth right now, everyone got picked up, shuffled and then put back. And it's just like it doesn't matter where you were originally from. Everyone looks different. That's just how it is. And everyone in the world accepts it. And the only exception is like red hair is unique. That's all they ever fucking say regarding any of that stuff. It's like, red hair is unique. Also, loyal, you're a hideous monster, burn uh, with fire. <laughs> Moraine has her, like, punishment doled to her by the Amaralyn, um, which she even requests. She says, you have to exile me in their uh, pillow talk scene. She goes, you have to exile me because otherwise the blues want to keep me here and for us to continue our good work. This has to be the punishment. That's the only way. Sad scene. As an extra show of misdirection, Sue Ann says in front of all of uh, the creator and all of other A's to die, she says, Moraine, I exile you from the White Tower. You can never come back unless I say so. And you're going to swear upon the oath rod to do this. So they pull out the oath rod. They kind of have a moment where they're both holding it and they, you know, graze fingers and stuff like that. And, you know, Sue Ann effectively says, you repeat after me, you're not coming back unless the Amarlin calls you. And Moraine says, I will not come back unless you call me. And this felt so... It was obviously like a ritual. It was a ceremony. It was everything that involved the bond and speaking oaths here. I know this is what they were going for, of course. I'm sure everybody else got this too, but it it felt like a justice of the peace or a marriage. You know, they were saying that no matter what comes in between us, which is going to be distance and time, but we will still honor each other. You know, they were, they were having their vows said in a beautiful way, in my opinion. It was good. I felt like this scene was... It was so sad again. The subtext is that they love each other, but of course they're not gonna be seeing each other again for a very, very long time. And you kind of see the tears in both of their eyes. What I thought was really interesting was that, you know, once Moraine was banished from the tower, everyone just turning away from her, the ceremony of we now reject you. Yeah, really harsh of we now reject you and we're gonna like turn our backs from you. um, So we don't recognize you as our sister anymore until potentially the Amarillo calls her back. It was very ceremonial. It was actually very pretty, honestly, to see everybody turning around and to see their different expressions on their face. And to even see like some people who weren't necessarily allies to Moraine feel like the shock um, of that. Like you see Leanne, like kind of her face, like she has this like, oh my gosh, like did we actually just do this? Um, <laughs> as she like turns around, you know, with her, with her staff. <laughs> yeah. I was really impacted by this scene and I think I've been the most critical of this Wheel of Time show. And I will say, like, when they change stuff, that means a lot to me from the source material. And I realize we're not going to get it. It breaks my heart. This scene broke my heart in the way that I want. Make me hurt because I like these characters and you're showing me something that's heartbreaking. It's like, I I think this scene is fantastic. I love the fact that it's like, we're going to make you swear on the oath rod 
And it's like, not only is this just showing again for the third time, because, you know, they always do stuff in threes when they do callbacks, but they're showing Swan Sanchi's dedication to the Aes Sedai, dedication to the cause of saving the world. She's sending away the person she loves the most, making her swear on the oath rod in front of everyone. She can't come back. She's not allowed unless the Amarillan seat says so. And the fact that Moraine changes the word to say, I can't come back unless you tell me. Because it's more important to her to swear to Suen. And more importantly, she changes the way she says her name. And she calls her the same things her father called her when he sent her away. And it's just so heartbreaking. It's it's You realize in this scene, Moraine's being punished. But Suan is the actual person who's suffering from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was super intense. And then, like, like Faye said, you know, Moraine goes to leave. And everyone turns their backs on her. I was like, God damn man like that is brutal like even though she doesn't stay in the white tower her room is empty it's essentially a hotel room moraine has nothing her life is the mission it's like people who are workaholics who are married to their jobs the only thing she has is suan and in that moment she sees everyone else turn away from her after swearing to never come back to this place and she realizes like in this moment she has absolutely nothing she doesn't have her sisters anymore suan had to just send her away and it's just like, all right, the only thing you have left is the mission. Just watching the scene, I was like, why can't they do more shit like this? Because it was such a good scene. Season one, episode six wraps up with the party finally getting back together. We didn't really realize this until actually the line of dialogue happened. Like, <laughs> Gwen didn't know that Nynaeve was even alive until this moment. We forgot that the last that Gwen saw Nynaeve, she was being carried off by a trollic. So the party finally came back together. It was a great reunion. Great line from Matt saying, hey, Perrin, you look like shit. You know, just fucking perfect. They all go with loyal to the ways. This is a, the entrance way to the ways, which is clearly a truncation of the portal stone slash the ways doorway. If you listen to the Twatch along, Adam explains it very thoroughly at the end as to what the differences are. But um, a very quick explanation is that these are two modes of transportation that they're clearly just paring down into one. But Moraine opens the door with the power and we see a fucking scary ass darkness inside that horses can't go into because they would die. And so everybody slaps their horses on the ass. They take off. They all go inside. And there the portal is starts no to close. fast traveling in this world where yeah. you can't take your horse. I was so annoyed. I was like, Mandarb, no. Yeah. Mandarb, Eldiv, and Bella. Those are the only horses that at least I remember the names of. Um, I don't remember anyone else's horses. Yeah. <laughs> except for Perrin. That dude's a stallion. Hey-o. Hey. Wolf Daddy, who is very, very not much in this episode at all. No, not at all. Hey, he needed a break. Portal closes and everybody's inside and nothing bad happens. Except Matt stays behind, or for all appearances, stay behind. This reminded me of the ending of the old, like, radio shows that were turned into television shows where it's like, did the Lone Ranger jump off the carriage before it went over? Find out next week. And, like, they show you something and you're wondering, next week, are they going to refilm, like, five seconds of it where Matt, like, runs in, like, just kidding, fuckers. Mm -hmm. I really think that, you know, this cliffhanger of, Matt stayed on the other side is going to be a deviation. I have an idea of where they're going to take it. I'm not going to talk about it because it's spoilery. I do think it could work. And uh, just something that was a little bit jarring. We're like, wait, what the fuck? Why did everyone go in? (laughs) And they were just like, oh, wait, let's look for Matt once we're all inside. It was like very much home alone. Like, oh, we're fucking already in Florida or whatever. Where's our kid? (laughs) 
Yeah, it was very Hollywoodized. I very much felt like they all got together, and I almost thought, like, you know, Elrond was going to pop out to be like, and now you are the Fellowship of the Ring. Da-na-na, na-na-na-na-na-na. But, you know, it's like immediately descent into Moria. Um, it's just, which is what this looked like to me. You know, if they, bringing that up makes it even more annoying for me because it's like, oh, they're all back together. Six seconds later, Matt, right. no, it's like, fuck <laughs> you, really? He'll just, he'll just F off now, you know, like, yeah. you're like, what's going to happen next time? I think it's very much trying to, like, remind you, like, hey, they said that him and the dagger were linked. You need to keep an eye on him, which no one fucking does. It's the hint to the motivation of why Matt might stay behind. You know, like, he took the dagger. He's poor. He has this dark streak in him. That thing seemed pretty important to him. He hasn't really mentioned it since he, quote unquote, got better. And all of a sudden, he's on the other side of the portal. So for me, looking at it, thinking like maybe he's staying back because he's like, now that all my chaperones are gone, I'm going to go back and try and get that thing. But that's just what I assume based off of what they gave me throughout the episode. Um, And it's just kind of hard to understand because it just seems so weird to bring them all back together to have them just have Matt be like, yeah, never mind. I'm not going. We did have the line from Matt right before when the portal opened that he was just like, uh, can I change my mind? Yeah. Can we back out of this now? I don't not think that he's going to go back to the dagger. Like, you know, I was already talking about like uh, he has like an addictive relationship, like an unhealthy relationship with that object in the first place. However, I think more appropriately, he was like, I just fucking went through this like darkness, evil crap. And I am looking down the barrel of it again. And I don't think I want to go through that right now. So I think that is him just being like, no, I'm opting out. He also said last episode, too, he's like, I don't give a shit about the fucking prophecies of the dragon. If I'm the dragon, somebody fucking put a put an arrow in my head, you know, because he, of all people, does not want to be here. And he's being dragged along. And I think this is his breaking point of being like, no, 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 no. I just went through something. I don't like it. If I have any agency, if I have any say in it, I'm going to not just go along being led by the nose you know i think it's funny that comes after moraine's speech of like look i'm a fucking level with you if you don't come with me everyone's gonna die the whole world's gonna die everything you know everything you love the new world of evil will be built on the ashes of those that you loved and cared about and matt's like no like the last month was hard i didn't sleep in good beds so it's it's hard to figure out what the fuck's happening with this character a little bit but i yeah i don't i don't hate it um I don't think we needed a cliffhanger, but I, I agree 100%. Yeah, I'm interested to take the cliffhanger to see if it's going to do something interesting. If it doesn't do something interesting, it's just going to be a dumb ending to an episode that was probably my least favorite so far that we've had here. It's a little bit boring because it's like end of act two for like the arc of the entire season. And you just have to have that episode where it like it just explains what you're looking for. Like if you have to burn one, this was the one you had to burn. It was a lot more heavy on the exposition this was a very talky episode and they did a pretty good job i think of as to what could have happened with it my hope is just that the next two episodes are a little bit more redeeming and there's more of like a climactic feel to them because this one certainly there was nothing about this that felt climactic except maybe the scene between moraine and suen sanchi but for other reasons oh wow (laughs) That was not a true point. That was just a sex joke. They might have intentionally like dipped the plane here so that we have room to climb up. You know, I've been happy with every episode so far and everything has been exciting. So maybe they're like, we need to like bore you a little bit so that the upcoming excitement feels that much more powerful. I think this is where our opinions on this differ is because out of the six episodes, definitely in my top three, uh, specifically because like the plot is here. This isn't just bullshit of people talking about the world. They're talking about what's happening. 
You know, it's like Leandrin's driving the plot. She's showing her true cards finally. Moraine's confronting her. Moraine's gathering up these threads together to move everything forward. We're finally understanding, like, what everyone's motivations are here. And we have the scene where Matt gets the shit sucked out of him, which is absolutely awesome. For me, like I've mentioned in the past episodes, like, I don't need a big battle to keep my interest. I want my confrontations to be with words. So when I see Moraine and Leandrin going nose to nose, toe to toe, and Moraine comes out better at the end of the episode, you know, understanding what her motivations are with Sue and Sanchi, like, that shit is very important to me. So I do put this in the top three as far as episodes go. There are problems with this episode, and I had a lot of notes on it, but their book to, you know, uh, show changes. And because I see now, it's like everyone always says, like, oh, I can see what they're doing. They're cutting stuff out to expedite the plot. It's like, well, they made the change of these traveling stones where you have to channel. That's not the way it is in the book. It's very important because lots of people use these things that don't channel. That's not going to be the case. Now that I see that that's the case, I can kind of identify what the plot's probably going to be for the next two episodes. So I kind of know where this is going. I get the feel like this is getting a little bit predictable. But at the same time, like seeing those changes don't bother me as much now that I know that there's a point to it. So for me, it's not nearly as bad of an episode as Garrett's saying. I think the first episode still by far stands out to me as the biggest piece of shit on my TV in like the last five years. Um, That said, I think this one isn't that bad because it is serving to set up episode seven and eight. My biggest fear is episode seven is going to be them wandering through the ways the entire fucking time. I really hope that's not the case, but we'll see what happens and we'll see if this episode has payoff because of what's to come. All right. Well, anyway, listener, thank you for being here with us. Uh, We have very quick social media information for you. Wheelatimepodcast.com is our website. Go there. Check out our reviews. You can also listen to the episodes there if you would like. You can go to at wheelatimepod, Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok if you want to check us out on our social medias. And uh, shout out to the folks who reached out to us by emailing us, which is contact at wheelatimepodcast.com. Dot com, or you can fill out the form on our website. It's nice to know people are listening. It's been a pretty interesting week to see people reaching out to us. We have some questions that Garrett Fay and I were thinking about, you know, addressing in a future episode, maybe during recaps. We can go over some of the stuff that uh, you guys are thinking. What's hot on your mind? We're going to figure out how we're going to address those, but we appreciate you reaching out. And we'd love to hear more from you. Is it called a twick twock when we do it? Good, good question. Twock? No, it's too much. My mouth's got upset doing it. A tick twock? TikTok. And if you want to learn a little bit more about us or, you know, you want to read our reviews, um, you can go onto our website at www.twatsatwats.com <laughs> spelled T-W-O-T-S-A-T-W-O-T-S dot com. You can read our reviews. They are as short or as long as you would like. You can read Garrett's, which are a little bit shorter. You can read mine, which are apparently novels because I'm incapable of writing short uh, reviews. I will say I try and match mine to your length so Garrett looks like the asshole. Oh, that's totally fine. I don't give a fuck, guys. I have to edit this shit down. I'm not fucking writing anything more than I have to. Uh, Garrett literally writes like two sentences like, yeah, this is how I feel. Suck it. (laughs) Adam, Faye, thank you guys so much for your time. Listener, thank you for your time for listening to us uh, talk about dumb shit for a little while. (laughs) So thank you for being here. I love you. And a wise man once said, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. Wow. I'm going to go throw up because of the food poisoning this time. I don't even know what that means, but I feel like throwing up too.